Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. We've got 90 minutes of information that you need to know. So if I could suggest something to you, keep your dial set right where it is for Prophecy Today. I'm here at Master Control in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We'll take off right after the program is over to Hudsonville, Michigan. That's just in the area of Grand Rapids, Michigan. We'll be at the Jamestown Baptist Church. Pastor Sean DeYoung. I'm going to be talking probably about the pastor's name throughout the program. I like his last name. Hey, I'm going to quit talking about all of that. And let's get to the broadcast because we have some broadcast partners that are going to assist us in looking at geopolitical activities. And with that help, then we can understand when I take a look at the book at the end of the broadcast, how the prophetic scenario in God's Word is very much similar to what's happening in current events in our world today. Ken Timmerman from the Washington, D.C. area comes to these microphones. He is a man very knowledgeable. He's a world traveler, and he's an author. He's a journalist. Ken, thank you for being available. Let me talk to you first of all, and we're going to have somewhat of a focus on the the papacy there in Rome. Pope Benedict has stepped aside. The selection process will begin very quickly as they try to select a new pope. And uh, I'm going to be talking about, when I take a look at the book, uh, the papacy, uh, Rome, and Bible prophecy. It has a very interesting connection, so we'll be looking into that. What I would like to do, though, is get your take uh, from afar, as you look at the forest of the entire world, what impact is this going to have on geopolitical activities? Do you think it'll bring anything to the table? Well, you know, it depends what happens at the conclave, obviously, Jimmy. But, uh, you know, I, I am a little bit amused when I look at the uh, way uh, the resignation of Pope Benedict has been reported in the media. And they focused on the scandals of the Vatican and his alleged uh, uh, lapses, perhaps, as an administrator of the Vatican. Uh, but what an extraordinary thing for a pope to actually step down during his lifetime. Um, he has held high the cross face of Islamic fundamentalism. Uh, in and, and really uh, under terrific challenges and a terrific attack, a terrific pushback by uh, Muslim extremists. What about, uh, and let's change the focus now over to the Middle East, what about the Iraqi prime minister warning that if indeed the Syrian rebels are victorious, it's going to cause chaos in the Middle East, i.e. it'll cause problems in Iraq, in Jordan, in Lebanon, etc.? Well, uh, what you have is um, an Iraq that the United States has now officially abandoned under President Obama that has essentially become a uh, subject state of the Islamic Republic of Iran under al-Maliki. And uh, he, is a, he is trying to give us the Iranian uh, version of events. Uh, the Iranians are telegraphing what they intend to do. That's, what I think we should, uh, that's how I think we should be interpreting this. Uh, they intend to use a, uh, a victory by the, by the rebels in Syria that would overthrow their friendly regime, the, the Assad regime, which has been their partner in the Middle East. Uh, they intend to use that opportunity to spread chaos in, in those countries, in, in Iraq, in Lebanon, and in Syria. And uh, the Iranian regime certainly has the assets, the terrorist groups on the ground, Hezbollah, and in Iraq, a full-up government to be able to do so. It's interesting the Iraqi Prime Minister Maliki would make such a statement. Meanwhile, the United States, with Secretary of State John Kerry out there in the Middle East, saying they're going to give $60 million in new aid to the Syrian opposition. Is this something that's a change, or is it just a continuation? What is it? 
Well, it's it's a public shift um, because there has never been a, a, a public agreement to aid the the organizations that themselves have militias on the ground. Uh, in the past, the United States has been providing aid quietly to some of these groups. Uh, they've been providing uh, humanitarian assistance quite publicly uh, to the Syrian population. There's $385 million that they've given over the past uh, two years or so in and communications equipment. But this is the first time that they are directly aiding uh, the uh, Supreme uh, Military Council and other Syrian opposition groups. So, yes, it is a change of policy, uh, and many people in Congress, uh, both Democrats and Republicans, um, Democrat Elliot Engels in the House and, uh, uh, you know, the, the chairman of the House Foreign Relations uh, Committee, um, uh, Ed Royce, have come out saying that we should do more. Uh, we should also be providing uh, military equipment to the Syrian opposition. So this could be the beginning of a much deeper and broader U.S. engagement uh, in Syria. John Kerry going in on Friday to Istanbul and having a meeting with the Prime Minister Tayyip Erdogan there in Turkey. And this on uh, the steps of the fact that uh, Erdogan made a statement within the last 48 hours that Zionism is a crime against humanity. Love to have been a fly on the wall when those two men met. Well, uh, you know, Erdogan has uh, uh, shown himself to be exactly what many of us who were looking at him in the beginning predicted he would be, uh, an Islamist supremacist. Uh, This is an individual who, number one, would like to reassert Turkey's domination of the Middle East and the Muslim world, but number two, would like to spread Islamist doctrine and Sharia law around the world. And to hear him utter such anti-Semitic filth as he has been doing uh, does not surprise me, but it certainly requires uh, Secretary of State Kerry to uh, vigorously respond and to get condemn this and to uh, take him to the woodshed. I think we ought to reconsider, and I've been saying this for some time, Jimmy, our alliance with Turkey. Uh, Turkey is still a member of NATO. They are behaving like an enemy of NATO. So I think it's time that we took another look at that alliance and, and made the Turks pay some price, pay a price for uh, this type of statement and the type of anti-Israel actions that they have been carrying out over the past couple of years. Ken, talk to me about a new report out that details al-Qaeda membership in the United States. Boy, I don't think this looks good. Well, uh, this is kind of a historical look back at um, people who have been arrested uh, or in other ways identified as belonging to al-Qaeda. And it's a, it's a curious report because, you know, there's an introduction by former CIA director Michael Hayden who, who says, uh, well, half of these people are converts to Islam, and, and maybe it's more about the Crips and the Bloods than it is about the Koran. The Crips and the Bloods, of course, are, are violent uh, black street gangs in the United States. Um, and that kind of demeans the, the actual content of this report, which which looks at how individuals uh, under the banner of Islam become radicalized, become violent, become members of a terrorist group, and actually commit acts of terrorism. I think that is a very serious phenomenon. We see that the Muslim Brotherhood here in the United States is extremely active in our prison system, for example, recruiting people, uh, recruiting uh, especially black prisoners uh, to convert to Islam. Uh, and we see that they've been uh, very good at getting the Richard Reed types, the um, you know other, uh, Americans who travel internationally, uh, recruiting them to Al Qaeda. So I think there is a there is a dangerous phenomenon here of radicalization, uh, and it's been it's being done in a certain select number of mosques that are essentially controlled by Islamic radicals. Remember Al Alki, uh, 
uh, al-Awlaki, who um, was, was killed with a drone in Yemen uh, not too long ago, was preaching in a mosque in the, the all, my memory is correct, the all-Dulles Mosque in the Washington, D.C. area in, in Virginia, uh, and was also um, uh, asked to give a convocation in Congress in 2002. So the Islamists are among us. They're here, they're recruiting, and they are deadly. And you do believe, do you not, that they, they have an ultimate plan here in America? Uh, absolutely. Their plan uh, is, uh, they have written it out in their own documents. They've tried to keep them secret, but uh, many have become public in the Holy Land Foundation trial and other FBI investigations. Uh, and the plan is very simply to Islamize America. They would like to see uh, the U.S. Constitution replaced by the Koran and Sharia law to become the ultimate source of all law in the United States. So when you see uh, courts in New Jersey and other places accepting Sharia in their doc- in, in certain court judgments uh, over domestic violence or, or marriage or divorce or things like this, I think this is a very dangerous tendency. It's a slippery slope to allowing the um, Islamists, the Muslim Brotherhood, and the supremacists to, to gradually achieve their goal here in the United States. Well, I think that Americans had better wake up to what is really going on in this world. It's one of the reasons we bring Ken Timmerman to these microphones. Ken, before I let you go, talk to me about uh, the the growing influence that China is having throughout this entire world. They're becoming economically the superpower. Militarily, they're in number two, I think, right now. Uh, but they have a brand-new port uh, there in the Persian Gulf, which is helping them to even be stronger as it relates to controlling all the petroleum coming out of that area. Well, uh, this is a, a story we've seen developing for some time. Uh, the Chinese have been engaged in talks for years with Pakistan to build a port just outside the Persian Gulf at Gwadar, uh, which is, uh, would, would give them uh, the ability to um, essentially control, should they wish, uh, the Strait of Hormuz, the entry into the Persian Gulf, where roughly 40% of all the oil that is, sh- that is shipped by tanker uh, transits every day. Um, this is a, uh, uh, there's a, there's a potential downside for the Chinese. Uh, this port is in Baluchistan, a disputed area inside Pakistan. There's been a you know, low-level violent insurrection going on there for a number of years against the Pakistani government. Uh, at times it erupts into uh, extreme violence. Uh, as for other times it is, it, it is, it is quieter. Uh, but it, there certainly is a tremendous source of dissent against uh, Pakistani control. And, you know, the Chinese could ultimately decide that they find having that port in Gwadar more important to them than they do any kind of support for the past Pakistani regime. So this could, in a way, in the long term, uh, become a thorn in the side of the Pakistanis. Uh, they have the Chinese in the port. The Chinese are going to be developing that port. They could eventually turn it into a military port, uh, should they decide to, and uh, should the Baluchistan conflict itself become uh, more important and more violent. Who knows? The Chinese could support Baluchi independence. Indeed, some interesting developments in our geopolitical world. That's why we talk with Ken Timmerman in Washington, D.C. It's always a joy to be able to talk with him and hoping that in some of his travels, maybe we can contact him as well in the next couple of weeks. Ken, thank you so very much, my good friend. I appreciate your input. Thank you. Thank you, Jimmy. Stay safe. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, a Middle East news update. David Dolan is standing by in Jerusalem. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Master Control in Chattanooga, Tennessee. As soon as we can get everything loaded into the car, we're off to the area in, in the Grand Rapids area of Michigan. Hudsonville is where we're going, actually, the Jamestown Baptist Church. We're going to be there all day tomorrow. It's going to be a one-day prophecy conference. Sean DeYoung is the pastor. I love that last name that he has, and we're going up there to have a great time of study of God's prophetic word. If you're in the area, be sure to come over and join us all day on Sunday. Now we go to the Middle East for our Middle East news update. David Dolan in the city of Jerusalem standing by to respond to all of our questions as it relates to what's going on there. But uh, David, I got to say, uh, you know, I uh, was uh, thinking about what really is happening in Jerusalem and all of a sudden it came to mind there was a big marathon race. Some 20,000 people, I think, ran yesterday there in Jerusalem. That's right, Jimmy. Uh, I watched uh, a portion of it from my window because um, they were running um, past the old city. They they did part of the run in the old city, and they were running down the hill near Mount Zion and then up the hill to uh, the area where I live in. And I went over there and and greeted some of them, and most of them were walking by the time they got up the hill because <laughs> it's pretty steep. Uh, but 20,000, this was only started two years ago by Mayor Nir Barkat, and then there were 11,000, mostly Israelis. This time they had uh, nearly 2,000 foreign runners. 
uh, come. Uh, the race was won by an Ethiopian runner. No surprise there. They're very well known for their long-distance running abilities. Uh, the second was also an Ethiopian. And a Kenyan came in third. And on the female side, it was also two African runners and then an American from Ohio. So um, quite a quite a day. They closed most of the streets in the city for it, which didn't impress all the locals, but it did bring in a lot of money to Jerusalem and, uh, you know, good publicity for the city, and uh, many of the runners said what a beautiful place it is and how enjoyed uh, how, how they enjoyed running in it. So uh, a good event overall. Let me just remind everybody, you are not listening to ESPN Radio. This is Prophecy <laughs> Today, uh, but I thought that was a unique thing. A Ethiopian, that is very interesting because God's prophetic word says the Ethiopian people, the Jews from there, would come back into the land, and uh, that's solid, tangible evidence that they are there in the land and, and participating with society. Well, let's get to some of the political activities unfolding there, David. Uh, talk to me. Uh, uh, the, we've been focusing on this broadcast, and we will with our other broadcast partners, the change of the papacy. Pope Benedict is out. They're going to select a new one. Uh, there is a relationship with the Vatican and Israel. A lot of land is owned and controlled by the Vatican there, especially in Jerusalem. Uh, but uh, there's been an ongoing good and bad type of relationship with them, hasn't it? Certainly. Um, historically, of course, uh, the Crusades and uh, some other things uh, very much involved the Catholic Church uh, against the Jewish people. And over the centuries, a lot of bloodshed, sadly, connected to that um, situation. But in uh, um, the last century or so, ties have improved, certainly since um, the mid-60s. Uh, uh, Pope John the Twenty-Third and the Vatican II Council, which for the first time uh, stated that the Catholic Church does not blame the Jewish people per se for the death of Jesus, that he came to die uh, in in his um, incarnation. That was the plan of, of his father, and he carried it out, and then it wasn't anything really to do with the Jewish people. They were just part of the story. So since then, ties have gradually improved over the years, and uh, Pope Benedict, being uh, of German extraction, was very careful to express his support for Israel and for the Jewish people uh, in general. And, of course, he came here and visited the land, went to the Holocaust Museum and other places. So he was well thought of here in Israel, and the people are sad to see him go, but now they're just sort of anxiously awaiting, as everybody is, to see who the next pope will be. Will he continue with that policy or uh, be more reticent in his relations with the Jewish people? Nobody knows, of course, yet, but they will be watching that uh, conclave in Rome as closely as anybody else is on earth. Yes, indeed, and we'll be reporting on that as well and talking with David about that relationship with the new pope in place. Talk to me, David, about the Palestinian demonstrations in the area of Judea and Samaria. Uh, there was a report of a Palestinian imprisoned there at the Megiddo area who died. Uh, it's supposedly now indicated that uh, he, in fact, uh, died of natural causes, but that has not stopped the demonstrators. No, in fact, uh, yesterday on Friday there were clashes in about eight areas, Jimmy, not here in Jerusalem, thankfully. Last week we did have that, but not this week. But in Hebron and other parts of the territories there were clashes. The Israelis are not using, Israeli army is not using live fire to quell the, the rioting, but they did use tear gas 
in some cases, and a number of Palestinians have been wounded over the week as clashes have been occurring almost daily. And as you say, a forensic team of three Palestinians and three Israeli uh, forensic uh, experts examined the remains of the prisoner that died. They all determined that indeed he had a heart attack. It had nothing to do with torture or anything. And then the Israeli medics on the scene tried for about 45 minutes to revive him. And in the process, of course, they were pushing on his chest. They were doing different things pretty strenuously to try to bring him back to life. And that left some some wounding on his body, as it were, some some um, cuts in his in his skin and some other things. But the team, including these Palestinians, concluded that it was not torture. It was just attempts to revive him, to bring him back to life. So hopefully that will quell things a little bit. But again, even after that report came out on Thursday, we still had uh, rioting on Friday in several places. And the fear in Israel is that another uprising intifada is being planned, is being pushed by Hamas. They've openly stated that. But the Israeli Armed Forces Chief of Staff said on Friday that he doesn't believe there will be such a thing, that the majority of Palestinians do not want it. But you know, you have a young generation, Jimmy, um, uh, teenagers that were just little kids. The last time there was a full-scale uprising here, they don't remember it uh, personally. And about every 10 years now, for the past two decades, we've had a new outbreak of sustained uprising violence. So there is concern that this new young generation is eager for that and that we may see see all that. And of course, this is coming just weeks before President Obama is due to uh, land in Israel and visit here in Jerusalem and elsewhere. So some concern over that for sure. Yes, and it might be a preliminary that the Palestinians want to set a stage for the President of the United States to come into. Also, the Palestinians are warning that uh, Mr. Obama had better not go up onto the Temple Mount for a visit. And President Obama saying, hey, he's not going to come unless there's a coalition government that's been formed. Talk to me about all of that. That's a report. We haven't had the White House say that, but um, Channel 10 News here in Israel reported on Thursday that, indeed, uh, the president has informed Israeli leaders that he won't make the visit if a new coalition hasn't been formed. And that makes sense, because he's supposed to be talking to the prime minister that will be prime minister for uh, some time. And uh, Benjamin Netanyahu just may not succeed, it looks like, in forming a new government. And the real reason, the bottom line reason for that, Jimmy, is the second and third largest parties uh, in the election that came out on top They won combined 31 seats in the Knesset. It's a 120-member Knesset. Well, uh, Netanyahu's party, the Likud, uh, with its alliance with uh, Israel Beitenu, they won 31 seats. Now, the third largest of those parties, the uh, Jewish Home Party, is a conservative party. Many of the settlers voted for it. Uh, It's a nationalistic party, but its leader, Naftali Bennett, uh, a businessman, a very successful entrepreneur, a very wealthy man, he made a pact with um, with Lapid, Yair uh, Lapid. He made a pact with him that neither party would go into the government without the other joining as well. Lapid is saying he will not join any government that has any religious parties in it, that has any orthodox parties in it. So Netanyahu has to decide now, does he go with his usual coalition partners, Shas, United Torah, Judaism, these religious parties, and others, or does he aim at the center 
and exclude these religious parties from his government. So Netanyahu really has a dilemma here, and he may not succeed in forming a government, although most experts still think he will, because in the end everybody wants to get uh, government legrafts and some other things, so they think some of these parties will bend in the end, but it's a mess, and maybe Obama will not come if, um, if there is not a new government formed and if Israel does have to go to new elections. Similar situation, by the way, in Italy, so uh, interesting how these things are developing. Well, to use an Israeli term, it's a bodygon that's going on right now. Prime Minister trying to form his next government, and so much depends on how that government comes about. David Dolan, our man in the Middle East, giving us a news update as to what's happening there from the city of Jerusalem. David, thank you so very much, my good friend. We appreciate it. You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll go to the second most sacred city in all of Judaism, the city of Hebron. It's the oldest Jewish community in the history of the world. David Wilder standing by. A lot of the demonstrations have been focused on Hebron. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung, we're here at Home Base, Master Control in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're going to be here for a couple of hours, then we take off for Michigan. We'll be at the Jamestown Baptist Church, as I mentioned earlier, and looking forward to being with the fine people up there. By the way, they have a a pastor with a great name. His last name is DeYoung. Uh, We anglicized our name, D-E-Y-O-U-N-G, He has the Holland Dutch approach, D-E-J-O-N-G. Looking to be with Pastor DeYoung and all of his fine people. And if you're in that area, that's the Grand Rapids area, that's Hudsonville, Michigan, all around that area, we'd love to have you come and join with us as we study the prophetic Word of God. Well, as promised, we're going to go back to Israel now. We're going to Hebron. We were talking with uh, uh, David Dolan. He was there in Jerusalem. That's the most sacred piece of real estate in all of creation for the Jewish people. Hebron is the second most sacred piece of real estate and actually the oldest Jewish community in the history of the world, dating back some 4,000 years ago to the time of Father Abraham. When he came in to what God had promised to give him, a land, a piece of real estate, which really is only about 10% of what they're going to get today. That's all they have. But ultimately, Bible prophecy says within 38 
biblical passages on the biblical borders of Israel. They'll have ten times what they have. But we're focusing today in our world on that little 10% that God's already given them. And right this moment, we're going to be focusing on the community in Hebron, the Jewish community there. Uh, David Wilder is the spokesperson for this community. And David, as I remember correctly, just about 800 people live in the city of Hebron itself. I know there are Jews uh, out there in in, uh, the other areas, but in the city, about 800. Is that correct? Uh, Yeah, that's correct, Jimmy. 800, 850, something like that. Well, why in the world, then, have the Palestinian people focused on the city of Hebron. Now, we were talking earlier about the fact that there's been rioting going on all across uh, the areas uh, that are in discussion and debate as to who really controls them uh, up in the center part of the state. But uh, it, it, it looks to me like they're really intensifying their attacks on Hebron. Why, why do you think that's happening? Well, first of all, the, the violence here has increased steadily for quite a long time. Uh, and they always find, uh, an, uh, you know, an excuse to, uh, to continue throwing rocks and, uh, firebombs. This particular, uh, the last week or so here, there was, uh, an Arab who had been arrested for hurling rocks at Jewish cars. Uh, he was in a jail up, uh, north in Megiddo and, uh, for some reason dropped dead. Uh, according to the, uh, the autopsy reports, the, the reports that we've been seeing, there's no sign of any violence. He wasn't tortured. He wasn't killed. He had some kind of a medical problem, and he died. Uh, and he came from Hebron. So as a result of that, the Arabs around here decided that he had been uh, tortured and killed by the Israeli security forces. And so they, um, how would I say, they sort of went berserk here. Uh, there was a lot of rock throwing, a lot of fire bombs in the area, uh, a lot of burning tires rolling down different streets, uh, not within the actual community here itself, but uh, surrounding us in the outskirts of the uh, of the city uh, and on the roads leading uh, down south towards Beersheba and going up north towards Jerusalem. Some have mentioned, and we talked earlier with other broadcast partners about the fact this could possibly be another intifada coming into place. Intifada, of course, a public uprising by the Palestinian people. Do you think this is a precursor to that, or is it going to settle down? That's a very, very difficult question to answer. Uh, i tell you what I think. I think that the Arabs aren't interested today. Abu Mazen is not interested in the kind of uh, war that we had uh, 10, 11 years ago, uh, what they call the Second Intifada, what we call here the Oslo War. Uh, they lost... Uh, many too many people, and it was very, very costly for them. They didn't gain anything at all. They just lost. Uh, and he's not interested in that. He, he can't afford to do that again. Uh, I think that uh, at the moment what we're seeing is a warming up of the area in preparation of the, the upcoming visit of uh, uh, Obama. Uh, and they're, they're basically what they're trying to do is say to him, we're here. Uh, and you have to pay attention to us, and you have to find a way to uh, uh, to, to give us what we want. And, and the way that the, the Arabs know how to do that is uh, is, is by using violence uh, and, and, and trying to, to heat up the area. Um, I think that's what's going on. I don't think that uh, I, I also understand from what I've seen in the past that sometimes these things can get out of control. Uh, and when that happens, that you could have an all-out war starting again, uh, another intifada. 
I don't think that Israel is going to let it continue as it has in the past. The last one went on for a few years, two and a half years. Uh, Israel isn't interested in it either, and Netanyahu isn't interested in it. Uh, we don't know who his new defense minister is going to be. Uh, but, but at the moment, I think what, uh, what Abu Mazen is doing is, is trying to uh, send a message to the President of the United States saying to him, uh, if you're coming over here, buddy, then you've got to do something. Yes, well, then you're basically saying that this whole thing's being orchestrated. Is that coming out of Ramallah and the Palestinian Authority, or where do you think it's coming from? A hundred percent. It's coming out of Ramallah. The president uh, of the PA, uh, Abbas, who call him Abu Mazen, uh, and uh, it's very, very clearly being orchestrated. Most of what they do is orchestrated. Um, uh, today, the the spontaneity of their acts. There can be spontaneous terror attacks, and there can be spontaneous riots. But for the most part, today, what what happens is orchestrated. Um, then again, you know, there are rival Arab groups working uh, against each other: Hamas and the, uh, the the Islamic Brotherhood, the Jihad. And but but today, the PA is orchestrating what goes on. Uh, when they push the green light, then everybody starts to. Uh, uh, you know, gather up their rocks and throw them, and they start with the firebombs and like that. And when they decide enough is enough, they push the red button and it stops. Uh, that's very clearly happening now. Well, let me just get personal for a moment. Uh, you and your family live there. You have children that are already married. You have grandchildren living in the area. This means then, because of all of this uproar that's going on, the firebombing, the throwing of rocks, etc. And by the way, a rock can kill somebody. If you don't believe that, ask Goliath. He met one that was sent by David, who actually left uh, the area near Hebron and went over there. But that being the case, how is it for you, a Jewish settler, living right there in that community and with all of this happening? It hasn't changed my life in any way, shape, or form. Uh, early this week, we had a, a family uh, event in Tel Aviv. And I drove out there, and I drove back at, uh, at 10, 11 o'clock at night, going on the uh, Trans-Judea Trans Road, cutting all through Judea, going, you know, out west towards Tel Aviv. We, we, we continue. Uh, you know, I, we know what's going on, and it's always in the back of your mind. Uh, but you do what you've got to do, and you don't let them control your life. And uh, thank God, you know, uh, there's a lot of help from above. And... Uh, See, I went back and forth, and I'm talking to you now. Yeah, absolutely. And there is light at the end of the tunnel, and it's because of what you just said from above, the Lord looking down on his chosen people on a piece of real estate that he's promised to give them. That's an absolute. The ancient Jewish prophets wrote about it. It will take place. Let me ask you one final thought here about the coalition government that's coming together. It's going to be tougher for the Jewish settlers all across the area. Or are you pretty excited about the next government? Or what's your thought? <laughs> You're asking me to be a prophet. You you deal with prophecy, but I haven't reached that stage yet. <laughs> um, we have I, 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 honestly, we have no idea what's going to happen. Everything is up in the air. Uh, until we see who's going to be holding what jobs in the next government, who's going to be a minister of this and who's going to be a minister of that, I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen. But until we see who's holding you know, what job, I have no idea what's going to happen. 
we're hoping, we're praying. Uh, I've spoken this morning. We had a meeting with a woman from Hebron who's now in the Knesset, the first time Hebron has had a Knesset member, and we said to her, what do you think is going to happen? And she said, I have no idea. Uh, and she's, you know, she knows what's going on. Very difficult to, to, to make predictions. And uh, whatever happens in the end will just be good. Sometimes it takes longer time. Sometimes it's shorter. Sometimes we get the abbreviated version. Sometimes we get the full version. But, you know, things will work themselves out. Uh, and we're hoping. Uh, ask, you know, ask me in a couple of weeks what I think of the new government. It'll be a lot easier for me to tell you where things are going to be going. David Wilder, he is the spokesperson for the oldest Jewish community any place in the world. It's the city of Hebron there in Israel. And we wanted to get a hold of David. Had not talked in a while, and we wanted to see what was happening as it relates to these rioting activities by the Palestinians and focused on Hebron itself. David, thank you so very much for being a part of our broadcast day here. Appreciate it, and uh, do be safe. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Jimmy. Shalom. You know, David Wilder has a unique place that he lives, the oldest Jewish community in the history of the world. And it's always good to check in with him to see what's going on there with about 800 Jews living in that very unique place, Hebron. Right now, we stay in Israel, and we're going to be talking with the man who heads up Palestinian Media Watch. Uh, their website address, palwatch, P-A-L-W-A-T-C-H, palwatch.org. We're talking about Itamar Marcus. He covers the Palestinian media, the media that is electronic, the media that is print, whatever they're saying or writing. There is Itamar and his team overseeing that and reporting to the rest of the world what actually is going on. Itamar, I want to talk to you about all the rioting that's going on in the Palestinian areas. A lot of demonstrations, mainly because of the prisoners, the Palestinian prisoners that are there in prisons in Israel for having committed some type of crime, many of them committing terroristic acts. Uh, this rioting, what is the Palestinian media, first of all, saying about it? Are they blaming the Israelis? I hear there's a report out that the man who died there near Megiddo in the prison actually died of natural causes. What's the latest? The the riots actually started before the that prisoner had died. For the longest time, the Palestinian leadership has been uh, creating these libels about Israel that uh, we torture their prisoners, or worse, even things like that we do medical experiments on the prisoners. The, the official newspaper said, uh, wrote a few years ago that um, Israel does medical experiments uh, to test out new drugs the same way Mengele did medical experiments. The Nazi, uh, the Nazi um, doctor Mengele did on the Jews in the concentration camps. Um, recently, the minister of prisoners said that a, a prisoner who had died when he left prison died of cancer because Israel had injected his body with uh, with, with uh, carcinogens that caused him to have cancer. So for the longest time, they've been creating this libel that Israel's torturing the prisoners, and the people worry about them. So uh, the goal of all these libels was to get them to start rioting, really, and that's what's going on now. Just coincidentally, at the same time that these riots were going on, 
Uh, this person was arrested for stole, through throwing a stone and apparently died of either cardiac arrest or just whatever he died of. He wasn't tortured. He was, you know, a stone thrower. And uh, that the coincidence of his death, you know, of natural causes, and Israel did an autopsy and he died of natural causes, you know, is creating even more more impetus uh, and is allowing the Palestinian Authority to even create more riots. So it sort of uh, was a very inopportune time considering that they were already rioting uh, for the prisoners. Well, how does this play in to the upcoming President Obama visit to Israel, and along with him will be Secretary of State, the new Secretary, John Kerry. Does this play in any way? Are they setting the stage for a visit by the President to that part of the world by doing these demonstrations? Yes, I think it's absolutely correct what you're suggesting, that uh, the Palestinian Authority wanted to have a hot region when he arrived. Uh, They wanted to have riots, and they wanted it to seem like it's a popular uprising. They didn't want it to seem like it's something that the leadership is, is, is sponsoring. So they promote the hatred, they promote the lies, and then the people go and riot, and they can say, well, it's not our responsibility. Uh, If you want to have peace, you have to put more pressure on Israel. And this is all a scheme to put more pressure on Israel by the leadership uh, of the Palestinian Authority. Being orchestrated, in other words, uh, to accomplish their goals. Absolutely. Well, I understand that this is going to be a continuing process. They're going to do whatever they can politically to try to attain their goals, having a Palestinian state. And ultimately, they want to rid that part of the world of any type of a Jewish state and take over all the land that God has given the Jewish people. In that whole process, though, they are continually working on the mindset of the Palestinian people, are they not? The reason I say that, I've just seen a report that you sent out about the Protocols of Zion uh, being resurfaced again in that area. And uh, you need to explain just a moment what the Protocols of Zion are to those eavesdropping on the conversation. But how are the Palestinian people using this to propagandize? Well, for the longest time... We, for years, since we've been following the PA for 15 years, we see them referring on and off to the Protocols of the Elders of Zion as if it's an authentic book. Now, what is the Protocol? The Protocols were written by the Russian secret police and released in 1903. And they presented it as if, as if it's actually an authentic Jewish work. Uh, where the Jews plan to subjugate the entire Christian world, in fact, the entire world, uh, under Jewish rule. And it's presented as a step-by-step program for subjugating humanity. And the, uh, the, this, this document, not only is it ridiculous, but it was one of the most successful anti-Semitic documents ever prepared. Hitler was quoting it regularly. The Nazis quoted it. They used it to create hatred. Uh, many, many thousands, if not millions, of Jews have been killed because of the, uh, with the aid of this book, because they present it as if it's authentic. Now, the Palestinian Authority is presenting it as authentic for many, many years. In fact, it was even in a Palestinian school book uh, until we publicized that it was in a school book at a at a conference in uh, in, in European Parliament. The Palestinian Authority had put it in their school book that the uh, that the protocols was an authentic book. Now, what do the protocols say? I'll just give you an example from an article that appeared in a Palestinian news agency, Ma'an, just a few weeks ago, and we released this just, uh, just a few days ago, February 25th. And this is what it said. 
one wonders if the Jews belong to some other kind of human species. From where does all this evil and destructive energy derive? Do all the other nations deserve all this evil and hostility just so that the Jews may control them? This is all written in this article which says the Jews behave according to this plan of the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Now, the only reason this is being published is to promote intense, intense hatred against Jews. And in the same period that it was appearing on this website of the Ma'an, it actually appeared on Palestinian television as well uh, in a program for youth where it was presented as if it's a an authentic document. So this is, like I say, alive and well. This, this, the protocols of the Elder Zion have been around the world. Everyone knows it's a forgery. The Palestinian Authority is still presenting it as a uh, as an authentic document. You need to see this uh, DVD uh, replica of uh, what he is talking about. It's on his website. I'm talking about Itamar Marcus, of course, who directs the Palestinian Media Watch and their website, palwatch.org, P-A-L-W-A-T-C-H dot O-R-G. Go there and you'll be able to watch uh, the, the video that he's talking about. But also you'll be able to read a report. And I want to ask you just as we conclude our conversation, Itamar, about the textbook situation. You said that this protocol of Elders of Zion was in the actual textbooks, but there's been a report that's just been released not too long ago about the Israeli textbooks and the Palestinian textbooks, and you believe this is a total forest, do you not? Yes, I actually published an article already which I called The Whitewashing of Hate. That's the title of the article, because that's exactly what this new report is. It attempts to create a symmetry between intense, intense hatred of, of Israel that appears throughout the Palestinian Authority school system and, and their education system. The Palestinian children are brought up to believe that uh, Israel has no right to exist. Israel was a theft of supposedly their land. Uh, and it even justifies violence against Israel uh, in the name of Islam. Uh, presents the war with Israel as a religious war, Rebat, it talks about, uh, it even goes so far as to say that nations who are subjugated to racist colonialism have the right to have armed resistance against them, and then it defines Israel as a racist colonialist state. So it's telling its children that they can fight Israel, they can use arms against Israel, they have a religious obligation to fight and, and liberate what they call Palestine from Israel, um, and this is the Palestinian school books, how they can release, how the State Department can fund a report that then publishes its, its findings in Washington and, and claims that Israel and the Palestinian Authority uh, are, both, uh, are both failing in education and create a symmetry is just an outrage. Not only is it an outrage, but it totally undermines peace. Unless people will tell the Palestinians that they have to stop this, They'll continue. And by this report coming and, and giving the Palestinians uh, almost an equivalent grade to what they gave Israel, it is not only morally wrong, but it absolutely will cause more death and more destruction in the future because now the Palestinian Authority has a green light to continue teaching hatred of Israel. My friend, this is why you need to put that uh address on your bookmark area there on your computer. Go to palwatch.org, P-A-L-W-A-T-C-H dot O-R-G. Edomar Marcus and his team posting there 
this information will help you understand why the Israeli-Palestinian conflict continues. And it's from the Palestinian side we're seeing all of this propagandizing. Itamar, thank you so much, my good friend. We appreciate it. And we'll keep in touch with you along the way to keep everybody posted on really what's going on in the Palestinian media. Thank you, buddy. Okay, you're welcome. Bye-bye. You know, it's very interesting to be able to talk with Itamar Marcus and his team looking at what truly the Palestinian media is saying. That is key for us understanding the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and the whole situation there in the Middle East. That's palwatch.org, and be sure to go to his website. Dr. Rob Congdon steps now to these microphones. We were just together last Wednesday for the purpose of working on a documentary about religion and the revived Roman Empire. And Rob, I'm glad you got home safe, but uh, I tell you what, you were invaluable. The information you gave, I'm looking forward to being able to put this documentary out so people can hear what you had to say. It is very interesting how... Uh, the Roman Empire of 2,000 years ago seems to be coming back into focus. That revival that's talked about there in Daniel chapter 7 seemingly is uh, on the stage ready to start the act. Oh, absolutely, and it was exciting to talk about it, and I, I really look forward to people being able to hear our conversation. I think it'll be great. We're focusing somewhat today on the broadcast about uh, the resignation of... Uh, Pope Benedict, he is now no longer the Pope. They will start the process fairly soon now uh, for selecting a new Pope. Again, just the overall view of uh, the entire European Union and the significant role that religion plays in it today, much less what is going to happen when the revival of the Roman Empire takes place. But even today, religion and the leadership out of the Vatican, very important. Oh, absolutely. In fact, all of the European Union, I'm sure, is just kind of anxious to see what's going to happen. This this is a historic moment, something they have no precedence for with a retired pope and a new one coming in. And always remember, the European Union leadership are always closely tied to the Roman Catholic Church in their personal beliefs or allegiance. And so uh, it is going to have an effect, and uh, I'm sure they're just not quite sure what is going to happen. Yes, what the next steps are going to be, that's going to be interesting to watch. We'll be reporting it right here on Prophecy Today. Herman Van Rompuy, who is the head of the Council, the European Union Council, 27 member states, he looks like he's speaking out, coming out of his shell somewhat, telling Great Britain's leadership that, hey, you can leave the European Union, but you're not going to be able to do it without cost. Uh, That's right. Actually, a very significant statement on his part, saying that, uh, in essence, it's uh, possible for a country to leave the European Union. My own studies say that probably isn't totally true, but maybe he qualified it very well by saying there are going to be consequences. And, uh, you know, in today's world, it sure sounded like a threat to Britain, saying you will pay heavily if you leave the European Union. Well, is indeed that going to be a a real possibility they would do that, or is this just uh, jockeying for position, politicking as they call it? I think it's uh, jockeying for power. Uh, Britain wants to get a very customized design to its country and its relationship in the EU. And uh, the EU says, no, you know, you can't be a special country. You've got to be part of the country. So uh, I don't think 
when it really gets down to it, that Britain is going to pull out. They would lose a lot. You know, as I look across the world, it, it is becoming, in every location, United States, European Union, Middle East, Far East, very difficult to govern the people. And uh, it seems like everybody wants to be the power and not to come together and have some kind of unity. Well, that is also setting the stage for the Antichrist to come on the scene who will set up that unity. Now, let me talk about a couple of things as it relates to the Middle East and the European Union. I see that uh, Germany is ready to restart the European Union-Turkey talks, the possibility of the nation of Turkey becoming one of those uh, states, the member states in the European Union. At the same time, they're telling Israel, look, we're going to put financial sanctions in place if you don't evacuate those Jewish settlements. So it looks like they're uh, favoring a Muslim country and going after the Jewish nation there in the Middle East. Well, it does, and it does look like favoritism. I think the biggest thing, uh, even more than favoritism, is they want things quiet in the Middle East. Remember, uh, Israel is a major exporter to the European Union, and uh, they depend on Israel for uh, much of their fruits and vegetables and certain other technological abilities. So uh, the EU doesn't want to alienate Israel. They want peace, and they have become convinced that the settlements around Jerusalem are hindering that peace process. What, what is, to me, is very significant is, once again, it is all turning down to the city of Israel, uh, city of Jerusalem, rather than just the state of Israel. And so that's what it's really targeting. And, and they want to see a divided Jerusalem because they believe that will give peace. The European Union does. Therefore, they want peace above all. You know, that does sound like that prophetic scenario that's going to unfold after the rapture of the church takes place. Dr. Rob Congdon with a report, a look at the European Union and updates so we can continue to be aware of what's going on there. Rob, thank you so very much and so appreciate your input into our documentary on the revival of the Roman Empire. Well, it was great to be with you, and great to be with you today. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking with Mike Gendron. He's somewhat of an expert on the Vatican, on the papacy, on all that's going on in Rome. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here. We've got about 30 minutes left on Prophecy Today, and I don't want you to go away. There's a newscast upcoming right after that. I have a very special guest that we'll be talking to, and then I will take a look at the book. We'll bring all of the details from our broadcast partners together, help you understand the prophetic scenario found in God's Word and how close we are to the return of Jesus Christ. We'll be back in five minutes right here on Prophecy Today. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I want to remind you we leave here in Chattanooga in a few moments. We head towards Jamestown Baptist Church. That's located in Hudsonville, Michigan. We'll be there with Pastor Sean DeYoung. Going to have a great time all day tomorrow. A prophecy conference in one day. Love to invite you to come and join us. That's the Jamestown Baptist Church, Hudsonville, Michigan. Well, we have a very, very important interview. Mike Gendron is standing by. We're going to be talking about the resignation of Pope Benedict, how they're going to select the new pope. What about Catholic eschatology? This is a very important interview. Do not miss it. Keep the dial set 
it right where it is. Hey, let me ask you to go to our poll question at prophecytoday.com. Here's the question. It's on the front page of our website on the left-hand side. The question is, the world has focused on the Vatican in Rome and the resignation of Pope Benedict. The next focus will be the selection of the next pope. Revelation chapter 17 is a prophecy of a false religion that will be headquartered in Rome. Could what is happening today at the Vatican be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled? Now that's the question, our poll question for today. Love to have your answer. And by the way, when you're there at our website, prophecytoday.com, on the right-hand column you'll see the acronym PASS, P-A-S-S, That is going to take you to the pages on our website that will explain our prophetic army of senior saints. I'm recruiting. I'm trying to find senior saints who want to make certain that the next generation will be those who understand truly what God's prophetic word is really talking about. The Bible prophetic scenario laid out for the end times. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com, and then double-click on Pass, and you'll get the information. And again, let me also say while you're there, you need to find out about our trip to Israel. The guys are going to be there. Jim and Rick are going to be taking this tour to Israel. I'd love to have you come along and join us as we travel through the land of the Bible. You'll see Israel past, touch Israel present, and then then visualize Israel future. Go to the website, Joshua Travel. You'll get all the information you need, the dates, the itinerary, the cost, etc. That's our website, prophecytoday.com. Now I want to bring to these microphones Mike Gendron. He is in the Dallas, Texas area, but he travels all over the world speaking. He's an author. He's produced several outstanding DVD documentaries. And Mike, as I understand it, you have one entitled The Coming One World Religion. Is that right? Yes, that's right, Jimmy. We show the legacy of Pope Benedict XVI and how in his eight years as the Pope, he has tried to unite all religions under the power and influence of the papal throne, as well as the ecumenical movement, whereas that's an attempt to bring all professing Christians under the Pope. And so it's our best-selling DVD. It's really an eye-opener based on what's going on in the Vatican these days. Wow. Well, that is indeed something we need to understand. And I'm so glad that you've done a documentary on that because you have focused on Rome, on Catholicism, on the papacy. You know more than anybody I know about that situation. And that's why we wanted to have you on the broadcast today. Talk to me. Uh, The Pope officially has stepped down. He's gone to his summer residency. They're awaiting the selection of the next Pope. But uh, the fact that Pope Benedict stepped out of the papacy as the leader, first time in many, many hundreds of years that that has happened, what impact is that going to make on the Church itself? Well, I think a lot of the Roman Catholics, especially in America, are very upset with the leadership of this Pope that resigned. We all know that um, none of the pedophile priests have been brought to law. Instead, the papacy has actually rearranged uh, priests in different parishes so that they can pray on other innocent victims. And so there's never been any justice there, and there are many people very upset with that. Also within the ranks of the cardinals, I think many of the cardinals are upset with the legacy of Benedict XVI because 
He angered Jewish leaders when he removed the excommunication of a bishop who had denied the Holocaust. And then he also promoted to sainthood Pope Pius XII, who was the pope who failed to denounce the Holocaust. And so he's not been a friend of the Jews. And many people might remember in 2006 he quoted a Byzantine emperor who said the teachings of Muhammad were evil and inhumane. And so he angered the Muslims as well. When you know that the strategy of the Roman Catholic religion is to unite all religions together, Pope Benedict XVI really bundled this. A lot of the cardinals are now looking to a new pope that will bring about the ecumenical movement and the uniting of all the religions under the papal throne. That's the strategy. And, Jimmy, a lot of people are not aware of Roman Catholic eschatology. They say that the pope will convert the world to Roman Catholicism, making it the only religion, and that is when the Lord Jesus Christ will return to rule and reign on the earth. They also say there will be a great Catholic monarch who will rule the whole world, and together with the Pope, they will usher in a period of enlightenment, peace, and prosperity. So Roman Catholic eschatology really lines up with what we know in biblical prophecy in Revelation 13, 17, and 18. Wow, wow. Well, those are facts that I'm imagining most people listening to this interview have never really understood or realized or even thought that that was a possibility. A Catholic eschatology. Uh, They will Christianize, quote, quote, uh, Christian, uh, not the term that we would recognize and understand and define as a blood-bought, born-again, Bible-believing Christian. Uh, but the fact is that they have an eschatology. Their theology is somewhat of a replacement theology. They do believe, in fact, you said Pope Benedict Sixteenth, he went after the Jewish people. In essence, uh, they are replacement theologians, and uh, they believe that the church, i.e. the Catholic Church, has replaced all the promises that God made to the Jewish people. Is that correct? You're exactly right, Jimmy. In fact, Many people don't know this, but it took 50 years before the Vatican recognized the sovereign state of Israel. It was in the year 2000 that the Vatican finally recognized Israel existed. And it's for the very reason you just cited. The Roman Catholic religion believes they are now the chosen people of God. And that's in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And so when Israel resurfaced in 1948, Rome and the Vatican didn't know what to do with it. So they kept ignoring it, hoping it would go away, but they finally recognized it as a sovereign nation in the year 2000. How in the world could the Catholic Church, and I think last time we talked, you mentioned a um, potential pope uh, coming out of Africa who was really in bed almost with the Muslim world. But if indeed their eschatology is they're going to set up the kingdom, they will have uh, the opportunity to convert everybody to Catholicism. And at the same time, you got the Islamic faith believing the exact same thing. They want to set up a worldwide caliphate. There's going to be a crash someplace down the line, isn't there? Well, yes, but um, we know that from Scripture, the prince of this world will deceive the world using lying signs and wonders. And one of the lying signs and wonders that he will use, in fact, he's currently using, are apparitions of Mary, where there have been appearances of an apparition claiming to be Mary, who is coming for all of her children, not only Catholics, but Muslims and Hindus and everyone else. And so 
Islam, I believe, since they revere Mary as the most honored woman that's ever lived, she's the only woman mentioned in the Quran. they look to her, they're going to the apparition sites now to get a message from Mary. Many people don't realize that Islam has more in common with Catholicism than Catholicism has in common with Christianity. Hmm. And as you mentioned, they're both into world dominion, they're both anti-Semitic, they both have a history of persecuting the Jews. They both teach that Jesus cannot save their souls. and In other words, salvation can be gained apart from Jesus Christ. They both have over a billion adherents, and they seek to dominate the world. So the two religions coming together would represent over one-third of the world's population. Both of the religions' primary growth is through birth. There were 16 million babies baptized into the Roman Catholic Church just last year. They both recite repetitious prayers to escape divine punishment. They both offer pilgrimages to obtain favor from God. The recent pope, uh, both John Paul and Pope Benedict, said that we believe the same God as the Muslims, the one and only living God. And so, as I mentioned, they both seek messages from Mary. And so it's quite conceivable that Satan will use an apparition of Mary to unite these two religions. Wow. Wow. That's additionally new information as well. Uh, talk to me just uh, one thing that's puzzled me so much. And, Mike, maybe you can give us some insight. I've watched this pope, and not because I'm interested in trying to go along with Catholicism, but I've watched him because of the fact that I know Rome is going to be the city, the headquarters for the revived Roman Empire, to be the headquarters for this false religiosity, ecclesiastical Babylon. I understand that from my study of Scripture. But I listen to this pope, I hear his words, some people could probably be duped by the fact that he he seems to talk the case of a true Christianity, but he's really not talking the same language, is he? No, he's not. Um, you know, Roman Catholicism could be identified as a plus religion. It's what they add to the gospel. In Rome, it is Jesus plus Mary. It is Scripture plus tradition. It is faith plus works. It is grace plus merit which is why the Reformers cried out with the five solas, that it's Christ alone, that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, according to Scripture alone, all for the glory of God alone. And so Roman Catholicism is, I believe, Satan's greatest counterfeit, because it looks so much like Christianity until you see all that they've added to the Scriptures and to the Gospel of Christ. And we know that if anyone adds anything to the Gospel of Christ, that they're under the condemnation of Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. And that's why we have such a compassion for Roman Catholics. They're victims of deception. And so we want to point them to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the all-sufficient Savior, who is able to save sinners completely and forever when they repent and believe the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. I know that uh, we've been talking about some uh, things that uh, will happen in the future. It's a stage-setting operation, in my opinion, of how this false religiosity is going to come into place, which is, I understand from my study, the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. But today... We're now going to be selecting a new pope, not we, but that's an editorial. We, those cardinals are going to be meeting there 
in uh, in the Vatican itself and putting in place all the procedure to put together everything that has to come about to put a new pope in place. Talk to me just briefly about how that's going to unfold and, and what are some of the things that we need to know about this. Yeah, Jimmy, I think the demographics are very interesting because Roman Catholicism is growing more in the southern hemisphere now than in the northern. Many are departing from the faith. They're just fed up with the direction the Catholic religion is going. So you see the majority of Roman Catholics are now located in Africa. Forty-two percent of Catholic population live in Africa. And so it's quite conceivable that you may have a pope coming out of Africa. But uh, I really believe it's going to be one who really pushes the ecumenical movement, who really tries to unite the world under the papal throne. Wow. Wow. Well, we're going to stay on top of this story with Mike Gendron. He's an expert. You can tell by just listening to his responses to my questions. He knows what's going on. He gives us insight that we need to have as we think about all that's happening in our world. Mike, thank you so very much. The title of that documentary, The Coming One World Religion, uh, if they wanted to come to your website, what would that address be? The address of our website is proclaimingthegospel.org. Proclaiming the Gospel. I like that title, proclaimingthegospel.org. Mike Gendron, our special guest today. Mike, thank you so much, my good friend. We're going to have to talk again, and I hope we do that real soon. Thank you, buddy. Let's do. Thank you, Jimmy. Bye now. What an amazing interview we had with Mike Gendron. Now, we're going to have to have additional conversations because this selection process is going to go over the next couple of weeks. We want to talk about the new pope and how everything happening there at the Vatican does fit into the end-time scenario. And by the way, be sure to remember that you can hear this conversation again or tell a friend about it by going to our website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. I'm going to take a break, and when I come back, I'll pull it all together as we take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, we discussed with our broadcast partners the resignation of the Pope, Pope Benedict, and the process that will follow for the selection of the new Pope. There will be much reporting on the process as it does proceed. We here at Prophecy Today will stay on top of that story as well. You know, the new Pope that will be selected will be a major influence in the world. I want to look at the church, the rule that it has from the papacy in this world and in the city of Rome, and its prophetic significance. We'll do that in just a moment. But first, let me rehearse some of the high points of my conversations with our broadcast partners. Ken Timmerman in Washington, D.C., talked to us about the Iraqi prime minister warning of a victory by the opposition in Syria and the impact it will make on the Middle East, in particular Lebanon, Iraq, of course, Syria, and also the state of Jordan. This is a very important information that Ken brought to the table. David Dolan, with our Middle East News update, he reported to us about the Palestinian demonstrations. He mentioned that this may be a setup for President Obama's visit to Israel, which 
is going to be taking place in the next couple of weeks. It will take place if indeed Prime Minister Netanyahu has formed a new government. But I've got to tell you, David told us the Prime Minister Netanyahu in Israel was having a difficult time forming this coalition. We talked with David Wilder. Some of the Palestinian demonstrations have focused on the city of Hebron. David Wilder is the spokesperson for the oldest Jewish community in the history of the world, dating back 4,000 years to the time of Abraham. He did report to us from Hebron. Itamar Marcus watches the Palestinian media, and it is key to know what the Palestinian media is really saying. You know, they are using information in the media that is propagandizing what is going on in the Middle East. They are inciting Palestinian hatred of the Jewish people. You do not want to miss having heard what Itamar had to say. If indeed you did miss it, you can go to our website, prophecytoday.com, and go to PTRN to hear all of these interviews. You'll hear there Dr. Rob Congdon. He talked about the part the papacy is playing in the European Union and the forming together of the European Union and how it may well be setting the basis, the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. Mike Gendron really gave us insight into the papacy, the selection of the next pope, and some very interesting information about eschatology in the Catholic Church. They do indeed have an eschatology. They have a theology. It's called replacement theology, and it's all a part of kingdom building. The Catholic Church believes, according to Mike, and I have understood this as well, Uh, that the Catholic Church wants to set up the worldwide kingdom, having been able to convert all of the people of the earth into the Catholic Church. Well, it's a very interesting subject, and I want us to stop and take a moment and look at what is going to happen according to the prophetic scenario. We do not allow current events to drive our understanding of Bible prophecy. Instead, it's the reverse of that. We look at the prophetic scenario laid out in God's Word. We let that drive our understanding of what is going to happen. When you get a chance, look at Revelation chapter 17. In Revelation 17, the word whore is used three times. The word woman used six times. So nine times, it's talking about an unvirtuous virgin woman. And that is apocalyptic literature. Remember, Paul said in 2 Corinthians, I want to present the church as a chastened virgin. And that's how we're going to be married to Jesus Christ. We are his bride, but he wants a virtuous virgin woman coming to the altar. Now, of course, that's in symbolic terminology, but he does want us pure. And the opposite of a pure, virtuous virgin woman is a whore, a prostitute. And that's what chapter 17 is talking about. Apocalyptic literature helping us to understand what is going to happen. In verse 5, it's a reference to Babylon, the mother of all harlots, and that's where this false church began some 4,500 years ago. It was a mother-son cult, Semiramis and Tammuz. Semiramis, the mother, Tammuz, the son of Nimrod and Semiramis. Now, you can go back to Genesis chapter 11 and verse 4 to get better insight into that and what happened. Both of these personalities are mentioned in the Bible. Semiramis is not mentioned by her name, but by her title, the Queen of Heaven. That's found in Jeremiah chapter 7 and also in chapter 44. Tammuz, the son of the mother-son cult, mentioned in Ezekiel 
chapter 8. And that's talking about when God brings Ezekiel back to the temple. All idolatrous portraits are on the wall. It's a terrible time. The Lord is judging the Jewish people because of their idolatry. And you see, when you look at the passage in Ezekiel chapter 8, that there's a convent of virgins who are worshiping Tammuz. Semiramis and Tammuz, they are the mother-son cult established in Babylon 4,500 years ago and have continued on. This mother-son cult has even until today. In 539 B.C. in Babylon, when the Babylonian Empire fell, this mother-son cult moved its headquarters to Pergamos, which is one of the seven churches there in Revelation chapter 2. And then after that, when the Roman Empire fell, 476 A.D., now, this mother-son cult moved into the city of Rome. Revelation chapter 17 discusses the false church. It helps us to understand what is going to be headquartered in the city of Rome in the last days. It will be led by the Antichrist. The Antichrist will also revive the Roman Empire with the ten horns of verse 12 coming to power one hour with the beast. The revived Roman Empire will ultimately destroy the false church. That's Revelation chapter 17 and verse 16. But the world leaders then, according to verse 17, will give their power to the Antichrist. You know, the resignation of a pope has caused the world to focus on Rome, on the Vatican, and all that is happening in that particular location. This is all unfolding as we watch the world continue headlong towards that prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. Now, don't misunderstand me. I made no statement that the Pope was the Antichrist or the next Pope will be the Antichrist. I simply said the Vatican and what's happening in Rome plays a key role in the end-time scenario that's going to unfold in the future according to God's prophetic Word. But before everything that I've been talking about as we've taken a look at the book comes to pass, there will be the rapture of the church. Jesus will shout, the archangel will shout, the trumpet of God will sound, and those of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will be caught out of this world into the heavenlies. With everything we talked about with our broadcast partners on this broadcast today, it seems like the stage is set, all the actors in place, and the curtain's about to go up on the last drama that is talked about in God's Word. But again, the rapture is next. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. 